Today's scripture reading is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 8. Great job, guys. If there is a favorite fairy tale that gets remade over and over in literature, on the stage, up on the big screen, it's this. There is a beautiful girl who was born to be a princess. Her heart's pure, compassion sincere. Her beauty, although it's hidden, is breathtaking. But alas, she finds herself in the clutches of some sinister person or the darkest of curses. And she is trapped with no obvious means of escape. Her only hope is that someone noble, someone strong, and of course handsome, will defeat her captor and win her hand and her heart. And just as she's beginning to despair, the deliverance will never come, her prince appears. And with daring and skill, he lays siege to the tower and the menacing forces holding her, and much blood is shed. But her rescuer, on his powerful steed, although beaten back once and twice, rises to fight. The sorcerer, the madman, or the dragon is slain, and finally she's Swept up in the arms of her prince, and together they ride off into the sunset to his cottage, or to the castle, or if you live in the hill country, to a 10,000-acre ranch. And they live, finish it with me, happily ever after. I love how John Eldridge captures the depth of that fairy tale when he writes these words. See if Why is this story so deep? Every little girl knows the fable without ever being told. She dreams one day that her prince is going to come. And so little boys rehearse their part with their wooden swords and their cardboard shields. And one day the boy, now a young man, realizes he wants to be the one to win the beauty. Fairy tales, literature, music, all movies all borrow from this mythic theme. Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Helen of Troy, Romeo and Juliet, Anthony and Cleopatra, Arthur and Guinevere, Tristan and Isolid. From ancient fables to the latest blockbuster, John writes, the theme of a strong man coming to rescue a beautiful woman is universal to human nature. It's written in our hearts. It's one of the core desires of every man and every woman. If there's any truth to what John writes in his book, Wild at Heart, I think it's a truth that, that, that for the ages, not just after we're done living, is going to continue to ring on. How devastating, however, how devastating, however, if a woman grows up receiving the opposite message, that she's not valued, that she's not desired. That there is nobody who will fight for her. She's not cherished or treasured by anyone. She is ugly. She is undesirable. She is unwanted. She is unloved and unacceptable. Question. What will happen to that woman? Answer. 
almost every horrible thing you can imagine. And to top it all off, she will tell herself she deserves them. If she's abused or abandoned as a child, research and life has shown me that she is likely to do almost anything as an adult to get the attention to hear or to feel or experience the words, I love you, you matter to me. That was the baseline to Glenda Nanez and her testimony that she shared last Sunday so courageously. And she is a part of a very large sorority in this world of women who have been insulted and harassed and assaulted either emotionally, physically, sexually, or all of the above. And to many, it never occurs to them they deserve anything but that. And they stop thinking that any hero is likely to appear not for her, not with her heart, not with her beauty, compromised a long, long time ago. Now, she... She's reached a place where at least she thinks she doesn't deserve a prince anymore. Because it has been forever, if indeed ever, that someone has made her feel like a princess. This morning we're going to move from discussing fiction to fact when we meet a very real woman in this next section of John's Gospel today. She has been caught, listen to me, red-handed And in the midst of an awful sin and the disdain she feels for participating in it, that's nothing compared to the disdain she's going to face from an angry mob, and I hate to say this, of Bible scholars. They've entrapped her. They've exposed her. But not to embarrass her so much as to embarrass Jesus, a rogue rabbi who has threatened their place as religious authorities in the eyes of the Jewish people. Let's read the text together. Early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down. And he began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before them all, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now the law, Moses, commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? Now they said this to test him so that they might find some charge to bring against him. And so Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said, All right, let anyone among you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and he wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And he straightens up and he says to her, Woman, where are they? Has has nobody condemned you? And she said, No, sir, not a one. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go away. And from now on, don't sin again. Let's pray, church. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning thinking about your love and mercy. Thinking about the amazing grace that we have been offered, all of us, in the midst of serious shame, serious guilt, serious embarrassment, every one of us. And we thank you, Father, for coming to meet us in the meal that we just shared together, to fellowship with us, to, um, to count us as your own, to offer us the deal of the century, 
your righteousness for our sin and we accept father we're not the only followers of christ that are doing that this morning um the live oak church is about to finish their building right up the road from us we thank you for blessing them we pray that they are able to reach out to people in the name of christ and maybe we we quite can't do that just as well father we have a we have a history in churches of christ with them and we pray father that you some way somehow knit our hearts together that remind us all of the unity movement that began so long ago to help us be one so that the world might remember that your son was sent by you and it matters not not a, a unity movement started by any of us but by you and we pray this in the name of jesus and everyone said you guys remember this woman's story. But what many of you may not remember is this section of John is not included in some of the best manuscripts that, that have the entire Gospel of John in writing. If you're reading from an actual Bible like this this morning, there's a good chance that, that maybe this section of John appears down at the bottom in kind of a footnote. In others of us, like my Bible, it appears actually in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, but it's in italics, kind of offset. What's up with that? Well, the story that's been held on by the church that's in our Bibles is authentic. Remember, John says in chapter 21, verse 25, there's a lot of stories about Jesus' life that couldn't be included in these Gospels that we have. If they were written down, John says, in his opinion, there's no place built that could contain all the books that would have to hold them. I by no means am a degreed authority on how scriptures are canonized, but I am somewhat an authority on meeting women whose lives have been marginalized. And not just women, people. People who have been hurt and hurt deeply and are now cynical with life. People who have stopped caring stopped living and are basically just surviving people who feel they deserve to die who want to die and some who have even tried to die and I love what is recorded in in these verses for us in the scriptures the holy word because it permits me to say some things about Jesus I might not be able to say in quite the same way in any other context that's found in scripture it tells me that I am not over-exaggerating God's love and His mercy when, when I say this, or rather when Paul says this, and I just confer with it, that whenever our sin goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with grace, grace wins every time. Amen? Every time. Don't have to make that up. That wherever sin increases exactly what the Bible says, or ab grace abounds all the more we grew up hearing. Amazing. I love that I don't have to to hold back when I say, whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever it's taking you, whenever you're ready, Jesus will forgive you. Whenever you're ready. Even an embarrassing, known to everybody, sexual sin. Even those kind of sins have a second chance and a new start with Jesus. I can say that boldly because of John chapter 8 and these first few verses in it. Because they give me the confidence to say the real issue with God is not something that you've done in your past. The real issue with God always is, okay, what are we going to do now? What's next, all right? 
My son came to handle the past stuff. My spirit is with you now. What next? I love that I get to say that with no holds barred because the scripture gives me wings to say that. But when I tell some of you that, the truth is you don't believe it. You're not buying it. Because it flies in the face of almost everything that you've ever lived for for most of your life. It may even be different from some of the religious messages that you've heard from people in authority like me. But can I remind you this morning that this text clearly draws a tough point for us, some of us, to hear and to, to live with. And that is that people in authority in the church don't always speak for Jesus. Amen? People in authority in the church don't always speak for Jesus. Never have, never will. That's why it's imperative that you read these scriptures yourselves. Why you get in this book and read these gospels yourself so that you come to know that Jesus Christ is the baseline for all truth. Jesus over tradition. Jesus over biblical interpretation. Jesus over the church. Jesus over a sportsman's sermon. I'll say amen to that. Recently, I read the testimony of a woman whose past was humiliating and life-stealing. Yet when Jesus was welcomed into her life, he became a part of what's now a testimony that's incredibly encouraging and life-giving. See if you agree. Marnie's a professional counselor at the Woodmont Church of Christ in Tennessee. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who when... She failed her husband with his support and encouragement now ministers Christ's healing message to people with the past. What drew Marnie to this ministry? What taught her compassion for women like the one in our text? Because she's been there herself. But let me share it in Marnie's words. She writes, I, I knew how the world dealt with women like me. I'd heard the jokes about loose women I'd experienced the revolving door of exploitation on the one hand and condemnation on the other. I knew the world saw me as a loser, but I didn't really care about the people of the world. It was the religious folk I was afraid of, the Christians, the church people. Those were the ones that I wanted to avoid. You see, I, I knew how the church dealt with sinners like me. They still threw stones, maybe not literal ones but sharp ones nonetheless, stones of gossip. See, I heard the whispers and the rumors, stones of withdrawal. I'd seen the averted eyes and the retreating backs. People avoided me. Who wants to associate with a woman caught in adultery? Stones of judgment. The condemnation, she writes, overwhelmed me. I try not to blame the religious folk, though, because most thought they were judging me and in doing so, they were doing the right thing. Good Christians are supposed to take a strong stand against sin, right? Well, all I knew was that those stones didn't help. The threat of punishment sure wasn't turning my life around. Yes, I was afraid of hell, but I was already living in it, and I didn't know a way out. She goes on to write, I knew everything about rules, but I had no clue about relationship until I encountered Jesus. His approach was so totally different and surprising. He was kind with me and gentle. He looked tenderly into my soul and he saw my pain. 
He saw my past and how desperately I wanted a different future. He knew I couldn't do it on my own. He didn't expect me to. And so he offered me forgiveness. He showered me with his grace. He caught me with his love. And then his power pounded out my pain. Jesus gave me hope for the future and grace for the journey. And instead of beating me up with stones, he challenged me with his love. He called me to a different life. He led me to the resources that made it possible. He coaxed me into a relationship with him. And one day at a time, by the grace of my Savior, this sinful, sexually addicted woman has been walking with him in a newness of life. And she finishes by saying this. It's not stones that help the sinner. It's only a relationship with Jesus, the Savior. Well, I hope that's good news to some of you here this morning. For people caught red-handed in any sin, there is hope with Christ. It isn't judgment. It's in brokenness. It's in welcoming His grace. It's, a, it's in welcoming a new beginning because some folks don't know how to do that at all. Don't know how to be broken. Don't know how to welcome it. Don't know how to start over. Jesus is saying, I can help you with that. Through John chapter 8. Let's get back to the text here. <laughs> this entire scene in John's gospel is a little stinky. It kind of smells of a setup. Do you get that? You don't have to be a participant in an affair to know that lovers are cautious. And they try to be as discreet as possible. And the reason is, forbidden fruit isn't just the goal. No, listen to me, hidden fruit is the goal. So how in the world does this woman get caught in the act of adultery? Only one way, she's played. Once by her partner and then again by those who sought to entrap this woman. Scripture tells us as much. She was to be a test case for the knowledge and integrity Jesus had with the law. The Scripture says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, him being Jesus. It's a setup, a stinky setup. And she's a pawn in this fight. These spiritual bullies are using her to make a point, to gain some authority, to get some leverage against this rogue rabbi of theirs. And what's interesting is the Bible says that they decide to hold court on this woman's life at a Bible study. Jesus has gathered some followers and they're discussing God's word right there in the center of the city, maybe near the temple, maybe even in its courtyard, when they barge in and throw this woman right into the midst of their little discussion. What a vulnerable place to be. It's vulnerable enough for me to stand up here, all right, and this is all expected, it's all understood, it's actually in the bulletin there, and it's a part of our lives, but to have someone who's full of shame and guilt and maybe barely clothed, thrown in the midst of our assembly? How humiliating. How embarrassing. How vulnerable. Get a picture of that today. I thought about doing that, but Gil said no. She's trying to maintain her balance and the last little bit of modesty that she has. It's not easy considering that these people have invaded her bedroom. 
and they've hauled her out in front of kids that were playing, wives that were doing their shopping, pulled her out of her own covers to throw her in the midst of this Bible study. All these people that she had passed on the way holding court of their own before she ever reached this place of judgment. What a place. The only thing missing is her partner. Did you notice that? It's just her. The law of Moses says that both parties to an adulterous affair will be killed if convicted. Where's he at? Unfair? You bet this is. Unjust? You bet this is. However, women have always been subjected to a double standard, haven't they, when it comes to sexual behavior in almost any culture. Things that worldly men do and brag about, they're scandalous for women. Multiple sex partners make him an S-T-U-D stud. But they make her an S-L-U-T. Now this woman's caught. No explanation, no defense, no excuse. She's absolutely caught. And her accusers are squeezing the stones meant to beat the life out of her in a moment. Just give me the okay here. And you can be sure, she is sure, there is nobody to speak for her. But there is. Not easy to see right at first because he's quiet, because he's sitting, he's been teaching. He's been in a place of authority. He's been in a place of um, respect. And then when she's brought in, he changes positions. He doesn't stay standing. She is, the scripture says, she's standing, but he, he gets on the ground. And he's not saying anything. He leaves his place of respect. He leaves his place of authority. He leaves his place of honor. And he gets down in the dirt with her tension and her embarrassment and her shame and her humility, her humiliation. That's not what teachers do. Where do you have me this morning? You have me up here. I kind of like being up here sometimes. High and above you. Actually, I don't. It embarrasses the fool out of me most days. But that's what we think of our teachers. We put them up. We put them on pedestals. We, we, we put them high. And this one doesn't stay there. He gets in the dirt with a woman whose name isn't even as good as dirt. Why? Because that's what a God of grace does. He gets down in it with us. In it with us. <laughs> when he doesn't have to. Low enough to be placed into a manger. Low enough to spend 30 years in anonymity. Low enough to be a laborer in a woodworker shop. Low enough to be identified with criminals and executed right alongside them. Again, low enough to kneel in the dirt with a woman whose name was as good as dirt. But they just keep pushing him. <laughs> Tell us what you say. The law says stoner. Moses says stoner. What do you say? This is when he stands back up, stands aright, 
He says, all right, let me tell you what I say. I say, stoner. That's what you do. Stoner. Now, this one had to kind of throw him for a loop because uh, they're not expecting agreement here. They're expecting a, a tussle, a fight, maybe verbal or maybe physical. Who knows? Maybe that's why they've got some rocks with them too, just in case. Stoner. However, let him who is without sin throw the first one. And then he kneels back down again. Starts piddling in the dirt some more. And the next sound is heard in the stillness of the moment. The, as the stones start dropping in the dirt. And it's interesting the narrator makes sure that we, we hear these next words. And it's the elders, the older, the gray hair, the geezers in the gang who leave first. Admitting first, they were wrong. Next, the lens of Scripture focuses on the woman who thus far has heard nothing but words of accusation. Finally, she hears a question directed towards her. Where are your accusers? It's a pretty good question. Where are your accusers? Yours. And yours. And yours. Where are your accusers? Voices that say you're not talented enough. Voices that say you're not pretty enough. Voices that say your record's not clean enough. Voices that say your personality, not cool enough. Your effort's not good enough. You're just not enough. I wonder how long after you become conscious in the morning before you start hearing the voices. They never shut up. Unacceptable, unlovable, unforgivable. They never shut up. Why is that? The scripture's pretty clear about this, and that's why it gives Satan the moniker, because there is a a voice in our lives that is the accuser of the brethren. That lives to accuse us of all kinds of stuff. And he'll use just about any mouth. He'll use a husband's mouth. He'll use a wife's mouth. He'll use a teenager's mouth. He'll use a mama's mouth. He'll use a boss's mouth. He'll use an elder's mouth. He'll use anybody's mouth that makes himself available to make you feel like you're not enough. But I want you to hear something from me this morning, from the depths of my heart. It doesn't matter what Satan's accusations come. That does not wipe out a Savior's truth. That you matter. You always will matter. No matter what any other voice says. If that voice says you don't matter, that's not from God. It's not. Because even in our darkest sin, one of the things he most wants us to hear is, you may have messed up totally, royally, but you still matter. If there's anything the cross says, it says that as loudly as God can. You matter. Your life matters. And there's going to come a day, the book of Revelation says, when that voice will shut up forever. 
Revelations 12 and verse 10 says, Then I heard a voice from the heavens shout, Our God has shown His saving power, and His kingdom has come. And God's own chosen one has shown His authority, and Satan who accused our people, in the presence of God day in and day, and day out, day and night, has finally been thrown out and shut up. I love that the day is coming when no longer will that voice be heard. But hear me clearly. It's not here yet. It's not. And so you're going to have to understand and have to live with, and I mean that, live with, knowing His voice will come, but so will the Father's. And there will be a battle for whose voice is listened to. That's why Jesus says over and over, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What the Spirit is trying to say to the church. One of the first songs this a cappella boy welcomed into his life that was instrumental in Christian was by Dallas Holmes in Praise. He came down to my level when I couldn't get up to his. With his strong arm, he lifted me up and he showed me what living is. And he'll come down to your level if you will open up the door. He wants to make your life worth living. That's what he came down for. As far as we know, Jesus remains stooped at this moment, lower than the woman still, when he asked the question, where are your accusers? Has nobody condemned you? And she replies, no, sir, not anybody. Then neither do I go and sin no more. What a short little message. What a tiny little sentence, but what big, what huge in meaning. Look at it. Go! Don't sit here. Don't go find a corner and hide. Come on, girl, get after it. Let's get after this now. Just, just choose to listen to God's ways, not your ways or your family's ways or the culture's ways. No more outside the boundaries. Listen to what the Father's trying to lead you into and through. But let's go. <laughs> now, it's not about your past, not about what's happened here today. Let's, come on, let's get at it and get on it. Her prince did come. And this is no fairy tale. Amen? This is no fairy tale. There's no cross-cultural myth speaking to some little girl and their need to be cherished and fought for. This is real life. This is the prince of life rescuing someone from the darkness of life, giving her the opportunity to experience eternal life. A life that forever matters. And what was left was just this smattering of little monuments of mercy in the dirt. Little stones that had a great deal of significance to them. To the fact that whenever my sin meets God's grace, grace wins every single time. Monuments of mercy that are in the dust for you today. And because we are so private, because we are so 
subdued most of the time. Rarely do we know how deeply someone's struggling. But we're going to keep trying over the years, and we may try some other methods, but this is one that we have in place right now. Is we're going to have some shepherds up here at the front, and I'll be down here, and we'll have some at the back. But if there's something going on today, and it doesn't have to be a deep, dark sin, but maybe a deep, dark struggle, and you feel like you're in this battle alone, can we as a church surround you with song here in just a few moments that our God's greater than that? Don't you dare settle for that. Because your life matters. And maybe, just maybe, if you'll let someone in to share this journey with you, even the darkness with you, you'll be stunned. As Garrett said, the story that God will begin to write in and through you. It's his incredible story. And we get to be in it. We get to, we get to be players in it. But it's by choice. It's by choice. Our God is greater and if we can help you hear that and experience that in any way, we want to do that. If you come this morning, you want to be baptized into Christ. You've been looking at that card. This last week, someone was baptized into Christ who had taken that card, given it some thought, gone through the, the paid in full card that we talked about at Easter. And if that's you today, and you'd like to be able to have your debt paid in full. We want to help you do that. Let's stay in church. Let's praise Him.